Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Cast. Well, it was about 10 years ago, uh, to this date actually, January of 2010. It's hard to believe. Can you, I feel like I, I feel like I shouldn't be, I feel like I'm not old enough to be that old, but regardless, it is reality. Uh, I am that old. Uh, but it's about 10 years ago today, uh, January of 2010, my wife Karina, who's not here today because she's, she's doing what she started back in January of 2010, but she started nursing school at the, it was then called the Denver School of Nursing, now it's called the Denver College of Nursing, downtown in Denver, and she was beginning a bachelor's of science degree in nursing. So I, a few months prior, we had gone down to the campus, because it's down in, in downtown Denver, um, like 18th and Market, if you, really, really close to uh, Coors Field, actually, so uh, it was really kind of painful when the Rockies were in town. Their, the parking would just like double, uh, and we, we, <laughs> we felt those those days. Uh, but, you know, prior to that, we had gone downtown, and we had checked out the campus and talked to an admissions advisor, and, you know, Karina was really excited about the program and the career opportunities that, you know, come with being a nurse. Um, but as we, as we got back into the car and started making our way out of downtown, I remember Karina just being really nervous about the endeavor, as, as one can understand. I mean, for one, the program was uh, a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. I remember, like, uh, whatever, whatever was available to her through, through the, you know, the federal student loans, it was still going to be like $1,000 a month on top of that. So it's just like, wow, that's a lot of money. And uh, also, the program was very intense. It was 21 months consecutive of, you know, just school full time. So obviously, not an easy task. And yeah, so it, she was nervous about that, but it's something that she had been working on for some time, or working towards for some time. And, and the good news is, as most of you probably know today, she is a nurse, so she did it. Uh, so she made it through. And it was August of, uh, or no, October of 2011 that she made it through. Um, but that journey through was not without its challenges. At, for one, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of, of money. I remember um, it was the fall of, fall of 2009. I had actually just started a seminary myself. And um, so I was working two kind of part-time jobs to make ends meet. And then I'd do schoolwork in the evening. And Karina had, had quit her job because, you know, her school was pretty full-time and pretty intense. So we had like a combined household income of like, you know, $30,000. So we were, we were really rolling it at that time. So I was, so I was working to complete a Master of Divinity uh, so I could get a, a career doing what I'm doing today. Um, but I was, I was and I still am under no illusion that this is going to be a money-making endeavor of any real seriousness. Um, so, so Karina was, you know, going to be our ticket to financial security. Um, and, and in a sense, like she bore a lot of the brunt, a lot of the burden uh, of, of being a, essentially like our, our, our family's future financial security. Um, you know, to, and again, not that she was paying the bills, but kind of we, we kind of staked our hope as a family. It's like, hey, eventually in a couple, three years, She's going to be working as a nurse, be making us money. You know, we're going, to, we're going to be set then. And if you remember, like, um, back in, like, the 2000s, like, there was, like, a nursing shortage back then. And, like, everyone was like, oh, go be a nurse, go be a nurse. And, and uh, they're encouraging everyone to go into in the nursing field. And, and it was kind of, like, kind of crazy. I remember, like, 
them saying like, oh yeah, you know, they'll be signing bonuses and, you know, it was just, it, it never came to fruition. But, you know, there was this real promise of this like financial boom if you become a nurse um, because of, you know, supposedly there was like a low, a low supply of nurses back then and, and, and high demand, obviously. You know, so we looked at her, her far off graduation day as kind of the moment when things would change when our financial struggle would cease and when we wouldn't have to constantly scrimp and to save just to get by, and we could begin to, to live the life we'd always kind of dreamed of. So uh, it, it was a kind of at that point, I don't remember exactly the day, and I don't remember whose idea it was, whether it was my idea or her idea, but we, we made these wooden kind of like, these kind of wooden like countdown blocks, kind of like dice, and they're about this big. I have a picture of him, if we can find it. Um, yeah, this is this, this was graduation day. So I worked at a lumber yard back then. So I got these these pieces of redwood and got them shaped into blocks. And Karina like made some some artsy numbers. And I remember we started um, that countdown. There was three blocks, and and there was no, the number was something around like. 600, if you can imagine, like 600 days until October 3rd, 2011, until that graduation day. And almost every day for like two years, we would rotate those blocks to mark the time until graduation day was there. So amidst the stress, amidst the drudgery, amidst the challenges of life and school during those days, we could look at those blocks and be like, hey, only 535 days or only 422 days or 333 days or 221 days, whatever. And of course, it was when those blocks shifted to, to, to double digits from triple digits, then, then things really like, you could like see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, oh, this is for real. And we could kind of see that like, what, was, what was, seemed so far off and impossible was, was becoming a reality. But it, was, but it was in those days, you know, day 539, day day 422, day 331, you know, when she was overwhelmed with school, when I was feeling the, the burden of finances, and we were exhausted from the seemingly never-ending process, you know, I could look at those blocks, she could look at those blocks, we could look at those blocks and think, slowly but surely, graduation day is, it's going to get here. It's going to get here. The blocks for us, we're like a tangible sign of hope in the midst of our fatigue. A sign that things were going to get better, they were going to prove that there was a reason to hope. I meant to bring one today, um, but I still have. I kept one of those blocks because for like literally for almost two years, I'd look at those blocks almost every day. So to this day, it's in my garage. I still have one of those redwood blocks with the numbers on it, because they were so integral to my life, at least. When I needed a reason to hope, a, need, a reason to hang on, a reason to keep going. So I was wondering, I kind of think about, like, I wonder, I wonder if y'all have had something like that in your life. Like, maybe, maybe it was like a poster, you know, kind of like, kind of like our posters on the wall here. Like in your bedroom, if you have like a poster of like a, a famous athlete or famous musician or famous figure who's like, you're kind of like, you know, somebody who you look to is like, hey, this is, this is what I want to be when I grow up. Or, or maybe, maybe it was like a, a teacher or a mentor 
who kind of encourage you to think about, like, maybe in your adolescence, like, what you could be, what you could become. Or, or maybe it's, like, kind of like I have with, you know, my, I still have my block at home. Maybe, maybe for you it's like a, a, like a relic or, a, <clears throat> or like a, uh, a souvenir of like a, of like a time and a place where you had, like, you know, something, a memory you can almost go back to and think about, like, hey, this was good back then or, you know, this is a good memory. So you can go back and think about that, the memory that that souvenir or that relic or that, or, um, that picture perhaps represents. And, like, you can hope that, like, hey, those, those fond memories from back then is still possible in the future. And, and you know, maybe, maybe it was something else, but I, 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 I kind of wonder, like, I, I think, like, probably we all have something like that to some extent because I think if, if you're like most people, we tend, to, we tend to do that. We tend to memorialize items as like a reminder to hope. Like when times are tough, um, when, when the future seems bleak, when, when things are, are daunting, like we like to have something we can like look at, hold on to, whatever, to like remind us to keep hoping. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a sociologist, but it seems like something that humans have been doing for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I was sort of thinking, like, this is probably why, like, back in the day, and I mean, like, way back in the day, like, humans would make idols to their gods because they wanted, like, a tangible symbol in which they could, like, say, like, hey, my, rather than just some kind of mystery or ethereal, I can't say that word, reality, they could say, like, hey, this this is my God. This is what I put my hope and trust in. And they could kind of look at that as like a real reason to keep hoping. So obviously, if you, you remember, when at least the Bible talks about idols, it's not very, not very positive the way the Bible talks about idols. And they were strongly discouraged back then. And, uh, you know, even, even asking for external signs were often frowned upon too. Perhaps you remember hearing the story about Gideon. So Gideon was a guy who lived kind of, uh, way back long ago, we'll say. <laughs> and Gideon was, uh, he was asked by God to like lead an army against an invading enemy. And Gideon was, you know, he was hesitant, we might say, if you remember. And Gideon's like, okay, God, uh, if you're for real, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to lay out a fleece on the ground at night. And if I wake up in the morning and the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, then I'll know that you're for real. So what happens Gideon does it, he goes to bed, he wakes up, sure enough, just like he said. And Gideon's like, well, I don't know, God, maybe we should do it the other way, just so I know for sure. So uh, what is he, what's the opposite? Like he, he asked God to like, the fleece be wet and the ground dry, something like that, whatever, the, whatever I said before, you know, the opposite of that. So sure enough, Gideon goes to bed, or he puts the fleece out, he goes to bed, wakes up, and it's there. And, you know, if you've ever heard of the term, like, laying out a fleece, like, if you're trying to decide what to do, people say, like, oh, well, I'm going to lay out a fleece. Like, that's where that reference comes from. Um, so the point is, though, uh, generally speaking, people were encouraged to put their trust in God rather than looking for an external sign. And, and most people back in the day, they knew that. Um, so they knew, like, hey, we, should just, we shouldn't ask for signs. We should just trust God. Uh, so this guy who lived... Uh, probably farther on from, from Gideon, who was named King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was the king of this, uh, this nation called Judah. 
So if you're familiar with like modern day Israel, back back when King Ahaz was alive, what we know of as modern day Israel had kind of like split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, and there's a southern kingdom called Judah. This guy, King Ahaz, was the king of this southern kingdom uh, called Judah. But the, the thing that was going on was this northern kingdom had been conquered by uh, an ancient superpower known as the Assyrians. And Ahaz was feeling the heat. He was feeling the pressure that these Assyrians might just come down and conquer his nation, Judah. And he was like, what am I going to do about it? So, so his, his military advisors were torn between, some were saying, oh, you know what, we should just, we should just uh, make some local treaties, make some local allies with some of our nations around us and just go and fight the Assyrians as best as we can. And then some other people were just like, are you crazy? Assyria is like a superpower. Let's just, let's just beg for mercy and, and hope for the best. And so obviously Ahaz did not know what to do. So uh, in the midst of the situation, walks Isaiah the prophet. And perhaps we might, if we read the story, it almost seems like uh, not into the situation, like uh, Isaiah walks over to the situation. So let's pick up the story uh, in the text. Um, I like to read it, but you can also follow along here uh, behind me. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, And the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Isaiah said, No, I'm not going to ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Well, hear then, O house of David. It is too little for you and your weary mortals that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose the good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. So this is what, this is what Isaiah says when Ahaz was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So Isaiah says, hey, you should, you should ask for a sign. So what, 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 what some scholars think was happening is if you can imagine, like, uh, you know, think back to, like, uh, what's the Lord of the Rings. That's, like, the easiest example I can think of when I need, like, a mental picture of, like, ancient Jerusalem. Like, Lord of the Rings, right? They have the castle and the wall around the castle. And some people think, like, Ahaz was kind of just, like, strolling around, uh, around the castle or the walls of the castle, kind of in that vicinity. And, like, Isaiah just, like, walks up to him and is like, Hey, King Ahaz, you should look for a sign. And Ahaz is like, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I know I'm not supposed to do that. And Isaiah's like, hey, well, you're getting one anyway. And, and interestingly enough, like, uh, people think that uh, Isaiah, like, literally, like, amidst this crowd of people who are perhaps gathered around him, uh, around them, Isaiah sees this young woman who's pregnant and says, hey, you see that one young woman? She's pregnant. She'll name her newborn son uh, Emmanuel. And before this kid is out of diapers, you know, they had diapers back then, right? Before this kid is out of diapers, the threat to this nation will be gone. So, so Isaiah was saying, like, hey, here is a reason to hope. Before this woman's child is grown, 
this threat as we know it will be over because God is with you. And that was the name, uh, the name Emmanuel, that the name for this child, what literally means God with us. You know, when the king was tempted to put his trust into military alliances or, or the kindness of strangers, Isaiah wanted the king to understand that he need not put his trust in others. Rather, he could simply put his trust and hope in God's presence with them. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning, you're like, hey, those words kind of sound familiar. They kind of ring, ring a bell. You're probably thinking of the verse in the book of Matthew, where when writing about the birth of Jesus, uh, Matthew quotes this author in this encounter. So uh, if you remember, it says, now all this took place, and I think this is in Matthew, yeah, chapter 1, this took place to, uh, so that the, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So to Matthew, this, this real-life encounter that happened back in the time of Isaiah, between Isaiah and a pregnant woman hundreds of years ago, was also a premonition of what was going to happen via the birth of Jesus. So rather than just a sign of hope to these people back in Isaiah's time, According to Matthew, the birth of Jesus was also uh, was a sign and a symbol of God's hope and presence to the entire world. Writing to people hundreds of years into the future, Matthew was, was sharing the same message as Isaiah. Don't put your trust in strangers. Don't put your trust in military might. Rather, hope in God and trust in God's presence. If we fast forward, you know, to our own time, we don't necessarily face the same challenges that King Ahaz faced long ago. There's no threat of military invasion. There's no, um, there's no conquering or ruling foreign power like in Matthew's time. In many ways, we don't, we can't relate. To their struggles. But in another way, we really can. You know, last Tuesday I was taking my daughter to school and I turned on the, the radio to the news and I was hearing these stories and I was thinking about, wow, this is a historical day. And all getting, without getting too much into it, it was, you know, the first story, like I remember, was like the news of the Inspector General's report about the origins of the, the Russian investigation. And then there's this news about the, the Afghanistan papers or something, about the, about the investigation or, or the, the news behind the 18-year-old some war in Afghanistan and how supposedly that's been, you know, the leaders, military leaders have just been like, this is a lost cause and just been hiding that for years and years and years. And then on top of those things, which seems just like humongous events in their own right, was, oh, by the way, the impeachment articles. I mean, that was just last week. You know, we still got, like, these things floating around in our, in our societal anxiety of, you know, the threat of climate change, the threat of global recession, the reality of wealth inequality, and we're just like, that's a lot. But beyond all these things kind of floating around in the societal anxiety around us, like, before we can worry about the nation's economy or the world's weather, we've got to, like, figure out, like, 
our own family situation? Like, how are we going to have enough money to pay our mortgage? Like, how are we going to pay this next medical bill that's coming in? Like, how are we going to figure about those problems before we can even think about stuff going on beyond me? So in a sense, like, as crazy as the King Ahaz situation was, as stressful as that situation was for him and his nation, man, in a sense, it's like King Ahaz has got nothing on what we've got going on right now. I mean, nothing. So we look, we look for something, anything, to be a sign of hope for us. Maybe a, maybe a political leader or technological revolution or like a new ideology of America first. Maybe it's more maybe it's more personal, like we lead, like a new job will do it for me, a new pay raise will do it for me, a new, a new uh, promotion, a new position at my job. That'll be my thing to hope in. Anything, whatever, something to put our hope in. But it's in the midst of that uncertainty, it's in the midst of that despair that God walks in and says, hey, I'm right here. I'm right in front of you, I'm here with you, and I'll always be here with you. Hope in me. A couple weeks ago, um, Nellis and I were having breakfast, and Nellis was talking to me about some ideas for message series. And one of the things she talked about to me was about uh, the importance of everyday miracles, I think is what she said. About how to be how the importance of being grateful and looking for those small signs of God's presence, God's action among us. I think in a lot of ways, like, that's what Isaiah did. He looked around him and he saw, like, a pregnant woman carrying a new life, a new person in her, and he said, hey, look, like, right there. See her amidst all the stuff that's going on, amidst all this chaos and uncertainty, like, See, God is still present. God is with us. And I just kind of think, if we open our eyes, if we look around, we'll see God even in the face of a young pregnant woman. And I want to, I want to acknowledge, like, hope is hard. I don't want to, I want to put some, like, smiley face on this and be like, just hope and you'll be fine. Like, it's hard. Hope does not come naturally to us. On the evidence of our senses, despair is natural. Entropy is built into nature. Decay is like knit into our flesh. By all appearances, the universe is a cold, empty, indifferent place. And there's a certain like bleak dignity in accepting the challenges of what seems to be a hopeless situation. But I think deep down, there's something about humans. We want there to be more. In so many ways, I think living life as a human is about making meaning, finding meaning. I think the problem is, is we tend to try to put our meaning or, or trust or hope into things, into circumstances, into situations, like, like, like our status, like our finances, like, like our stuff. And instead, God comes to us and says, hope in me, I'll never leave you, I'm with you. 
And this is, this is the good news we celebrate at Christmas. This is what the birth of Jesus celebrates, signifies for us. When we put our hope in God, when we lean into God's presence, things won't magically get better. Our problems won't disappear. But we'll have a reason to keep going, keep living, keep hoping. This season of Advent, this time of expectant waiting and, and preparation for the, for the birth of Jesus, and also rem- remembering again the, the future coming of Jesus and the second coming, Hope in your life cannot wait. So look for God's presence with you. I remember it was, it was a few years ago, before my son Jax was born, uh, Karina was, it was one Sunday after church and Karina was working. And I was just worn out. I was tired. I was exhausted from just a hard day at church and just a, just a hard season in life. I think it was the winter and I don't know about for y'all, but for me, this time of the season, this time of winter, just it's a hard, dreary time, you know, the short days, lack of sun, whatever. And I kind of I kind of did with Lexi what I always like to do when I when I feel kind of bummed is I, I went to McDonald's. And I remember when I went to that McDonald's, there was a young man who's the cashier. There's this young African American man, his name was Emmanuel. And I don't know why, but I, in that time, in that moment, I took that as a sign of hope. And I said, man, God is present. Even here, even now, no matter how I feel, God is here with me. Remember that. God is here even now. Let's put our hope and trust in God. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of M.G. Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M-G-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N dot O-R-G. See you next week.